0: Man, it is great to be with you guys this morning. Whether you're watching online or you're here, I am so excited uh, to be back. Now, as I look out and I realize there's a lot of you that I don't know, and you're probably sitting sitting there saying, man, who is this guy? And there's others that are sitting here that I look back and I've got great memories with. In fact, this morning as we were driving up 81, coming up here this morning uh, from actually closer to our Hagerstown campus, uh, I realized, man, we've got a lot of memories in this place. You know, back in the day where we used to set up over at the school or at the movie theater and work with Isaiah 51 and so many different things that we did to make a difference for the kingdom. And as I thought about that, uh, Gilbert several months ago said, "Hey Chad, you're 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 unemployed, so you're going to come up and preach for me on this week." And I, you know, Gilbert, you don't tell him no. So I said, sure, I would love to come up. he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about that one prayer that you have for our world. And when he gave me that task, he said, you can have a week or so to think about it. And as I began to think through that, I began to wonder, you know, if, if I were to say, what's that one thing that grabs my heart more than anything else? It would be this. You know, I want a world where no one would fall short of the potential that God's given them. You know, I would want to live in a place where everyone is leaning into how God's created them, what he desires them to be. And when I began to think about that, my mind was was taken to this passage in 2 Peter that we're going to look at today. You know, have you ever felt like you're kind of wasting your life? You know, I'm turning older now. Uh, Two of my kids are here with me, And I realize time marches on because when we left, they were in junior high and mid-high school. And now they've got kids. I'm like, I I am now a Pops. And I know what you're thinking. All of you are thinking, you don't look old enough to be a grandpa. And I would agree with you with that. But what I realize is that when I look at my precious grandboys, all three of them, I realize they have a lifetime of potential ahead of them. It's untapped. but Man, they've got a ton ahead of them. When I look at my kids that are starting off their life and career and look at, like, Dylan and Hannah and uh, some of those that were young when we were here, I'm looking and saying, man, they've got a lot of their life ahead of them. And as I sit and contemplate my own life, I begin to say this. Man is the best behind me. You know, can I really still make a difference? Do I still have potential that God desires to use in an incredible way? And when I look at 2 Peter and Paul who wrote this, I realize that he desires every one of us, no matter what stage of life we fall, to live a life that has incredible potential. And the next question that I have to ask myself when I begin to look at that is, if I want to live that life of potential... How do I do it? You know, all of us begin to look at our own lives, and we begin to say, hey, there's just a ton of reasons why I can't. You know, as Gilbert mentioned last week, up until this past January, I was actually employed by a church, and so you might call that a pastor or or whatever you want to call that. But when I was there, I can remember sitting with people in my office and sitting with guys in the community, and they would say things like this, man, if I was just a pastor... You know, I could really make a difference. You know, if I was more like Gilbert that could stand up in front of people and talk and not afraid of anybody, man, I could really have made a difference with my life if I would have done that. But you know what the funny thing is? Now that I help coach and equip pastors, you know what they tell me? Man, if I just had a real job, I could make a difference in the world. You know, if I actually rub shoulders with And I began to think and take note of that and think, man, how is it that there are a certain segment of people who believe if I just did this, I could make a difference? Or if I just was in this place, I could really make a difference. And I began to realize also that we don't just do that with our occupations. We also do it with our past, with what we believe about our future, with with what we might call the hand we've been dealt in life we begin to look at it and we begin to say, man, I'm just not sure that I can live up to this potential. But I want to tell you this. I believe through the letter that we're going to look at today from Paul in 2 Peter chapter 1, that if we follow his insights, his wisdom, that we can each make an unbelievable difference with the impact that God has given us. When you look at 2 Peter, uh, 2 Peter, if you don't know, was actually a second letter, not to a guy named Peter, but it was a second letter to a church that was there. And at the end of the first letter that he wrote, he, he, he said, you know what, I want you to understand that you guys are beloved. I love you guys. You know, I love you. I'm not able to be with you because he was imprisoned in Rome, but, but you know what, I love you. You know, as I thought about that my mind quickly went to Exponential Church. Man, I loved this place where, we, where I got to serve. You know, when I look back, it had an unbelievable impact in shaping the lives of my kids. You know, Christopher, who's not here today in-house, but, but he actually played on his first worship team right here at Exponential Church. I can remember Bill working with him in the basement of a house where they used to rehearse and practice every week for Sunday morning and one week he finally got the call saying, you can do it. Well, can I tell you that impact that was had on him? He's now, I believe this morning, playing at a church in Carlisle uh, as one of their worship leaders. You know, we had our, 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 our other twin, Michael, who served in the children's ministry here and he's given his life to help youth take their next steps to find and follow Christ. Our daughter, Caitlin, gained a love for those uh, who are less fortunate than she is. I can remember her and us going downtown and serving in incredible ways. So I understand what Paul here says when he says, you know what, you, beloved. When Peter says, you're beloved, I love you, I can say the same thing. And my goal this morning, as we share, or this afternoon if you watch it, or later in the week whenever you're watching it, is that when you walk away, you would be encouraged to continue to live a life of purpose, not wasting the potential that God has given you. So in 2 Peter chapter 2, we're going to just walk through a few verses to help us understand what we need to do. In 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, he says this, His divine power has granted us. Now, that his is Jesus. God's divine power has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I get in life, and life just doesn't seem right. You know, the things that happen, the things that other people do, the things that are going on in the world around me, and I begin to question this first statement that Peter begins with. You know, are you kidding me? Is God's divine power really granted us everything we need? You know, maybe it's granted us a few things. Maybe it's given us a leg up in life. Maybe it's given us a good perspective. But do I believe that his power has equipped me to make the difference in this world that he's he's called me to do? You know, he says you got this thing that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called you to his own glory and excellence. You know, when I begin to look at that and I begin to say, okay, let me try to wrap my mind around this for, for a minute. Because Peter, who's writing this, is actually in Rome, apart from this church who is facing immense persecution at the moment. Man, if you were walking through their life, they would be saying things like this. Man, I don't know if life can get any better. I don't know if life is worth continuing. Man, I'm not sure this whole following Jesus thing is all it's cracked up to be because I like the living happily ever after part, but I'm not sure I like what's going on right now. And yet this guy, Peter, who loves us so much is saying, you know what, God's power has given you everything you need for him who has called you to his own good work. You know, when we look at that idea, we have everything we need to live life to the fullest. There are traps that come into our mind that want to tell us, no, you don't have everything you need. You know, maybe you're single or you're going through a difficult marriage, and and you know what? I need a spouse who understands me. And If I had that, man, I could really make a difference. Or maybe I need a little more financial freedom in my life, and if I had a little more financial freedom, then... I could make a difference. You know, if I could just make these things a little better, I could make a difference. But quickly, Peter says, no, you don't understand. God is giving you, that's a present term, right now he's giving you everything that you need in order to make a difference in the world. You know, it's him who has called us. It's not by our own power. It's through the glory and excellence and work of Christ. You know, I love that one of the songs that we sing. And it says, you know, I've got nothing fit for a king. Man, there's nothing in and of myself that I have that I have that's worth anything, but only the hallelujah, only the praise and honor and worship that I give to him who has called me. Ultimately, what we have to believe and understand is that we have the authority and we have the power to live a life that Jesus desires for us. The pattern of our thinking that renders the power of God in our life useless needs to be set aside and we have to take the fact that God through Jesus Christ and our trust in him has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. God is sufficient and powerful in making our life the fullest and helping us to live to our potential despite the circumstances around us. In 2 Peter 1, then, we jump to verse 5. And when we begin verse 5, you've got to understand the tension that's pulling in this passage because he's just getting ready to say, okay, God has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. And so the question that they're asking is, well, then I really don't need to do anything, do I? If God's the one that's given me the power, then what do I need to do? And so we have this tension. Is this life that we live because of God's power or our work? And I believe what he's saying in this passage is the answer is yes. It's God's power, but then it's also us doing everything that we can because in verse 5 it says this. um, For this very reason, because he has given you the power, because he has given you everything that you need for this very reason, reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge you know because of everything he's done what I have to begin doing is saying this I am good to make every effort you know that word make every effort is literally translated work with all your might You know, there's something within us that we need to daily do our part and do the best that we can in increasing these virtues that he's going to tell us. And I believe this list of virtues that we're going to walk through this morning, and I would encourage you, go home and learn as much as you can about these virtues because these virtues are ultimately what allow us to live that life, uh, that, that allows us to lead a life that lives to our full potential. And he starts with the idea that this list, It's not a sequential list. It's not like I'm going to add this and I'm going to add this. But rather it's an outflow of the faith that he's given us. Because he starts with this. Make every effort to add to your faith. And this idea of faith is the idea of the knowledge that we have that has brought us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the things that I love about my relationship with Christ is that he is the one who initially loved me. You know, it tells us that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that he died and he gave his life for me. You know, for me, what that means is at my worst, he loved me the most. When I was stuck in my own mind and my own sin and my own junk and my own mess, he said, you know what, when you were at the worst moment of your life, I loved you the most. You know, that's what he's talking about here that when we have that faith, we understand that there is such a love that inspires us to move and live in a different way. But he says, staying at that place where you're relying on the faith that you've had isn't enough. I want that faith to grow. I want you to be able to understand how to live that faith in a greater way. And, you know, for me, part of that was understanding that if he loves me at my worst, that means those I come in contact with. I have to love them even at their worst. You know, one of the things that that we talk about when we talk about circles and life groups and things like that is every group has a really annoying person in it that you're called to love. And can I tell you this? If your group doesn't have an annoying person in it, that probably tells you something about yourself. And so be thankful for all of those. But when we begin to look and say, you know what, the faith that I have realizing that God loved me and he is the only way that I can have a relationship with God is through that person of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, my outlook in people becomes different. And we ought to be growing in that daily. But he says this, that faith, that understanding and knowledge of faith is not enough. He says that we have to add to our faith virtue. This idea of virtue is ultimately a moral excellence You know, am I known as a person of moral character or moral excellence? Am I doing those things that are right? You know, often when we think of this idea of moral excellence, we put it on a sliding scale, don't we? You know, we look around the room and say, hey, you know what? I'm at least better than this person. Or at least I'm not quite like this person. But have you ever known somebody that had impeccable character? You know, we didn't. For that person who had that impeccable character that we look up to, we don't view them on a sliding scale, do we? We view them as a person that is that. You know, it doesn't matter who is around them or who they are with or what the situation is. That they live a life that is pleasing and honoring to Christ. It's that idea that I would rather be respected by those who are closest to me than, admire the, than be admired by those who see me from a distance. You know, it's easy to, for others who see us from a distance to gain a perspective of who they think we are. But can we say that those who know us best admire us most, or at least respect us the most? When we live with this idea of moral character or moral excellence, it's that idea that every person who sees us begins to see us the same. You know, when we have a faith, that faith ought to require us to be a person who acts the right way. But beyond acting the right way, it also tells us that we need to add to our virtue, knowledge. It's that divine truth that is, found, that is foundational to our growth. You know, Peter, over and over again in this two books, He talks about the knowledge that has been given to us. And one of the great things that we have at this point in time is a knowledge that is based on the word of God. You know, if I were to ask you, are you growing in your understanding of the word of God? Or are you just at the point in your life where it's like, I know enough to get by. You know, ultimately what we end up saying is, you know what, I'm good enough. You know, when we think about living a life of full potential, the idea of that is I'm never good enough. There's always room to improve and always room to move forward. And the only way that we're going to do that is have to have a deeper understanding of God and who he is. It can only be found in the word of God. I would encourage you, spend time in, in understanding how to live out your life in a way that pleases Christ. In verse 6, he goes on and he says, Add to that knowledge self-control. And self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. The word self-control is the idea that it's the ability to hold oneself. It's the ability that you are able, despite the circumstances around you, to control your sinful desires and line your life with the truth that can only be found in God's Word. You know, I, over the past several years, I have understood what this idea of self-control was. Uh, when I was in at Exponential before, uh, one of the things that I started doing was running. In fact, um, Teresa Sellers and some others who were here with us, we ended up running a half marathon in Ocean City, Maryland. And I remember... Having to train to do that. In fact, there were some who said, you look sick because my weight dropped as I began to run. And as I began to do that, I realized, you know what, if I neglected training, guess what, it affected the outcome. The same thing is true in our lives with self-control. If we're not able to say no to those things that would tend to draw us away from our potential or draw us away from those things that God desires from us, if we're not able to control ourselves, our growth and the potential that we have for the kingdom of God cannot be great. After we left here, my wife and I uh, began to say, you know what, we are not getting any younger and we want to, to keep moving so that we can keep moving and we began cycling. Uh, there in fact, several weeks ago, we just ended up doing a metric century, 62 and a half miles, uh, with a group of friends. And what we 're learning is that every part of our life, what we eat, what we drink or how much we drink, or what we do, affects the outcome that we desire in, in our cycling. That 's the same picture that we get here with this idea of self-control. Do we see that every response that we have, every choice that we make, every time we choose to give in to something that is contrary to what God desires from us, that that self-control is not there? As we're increasing in this idea of self-control, it ought for us to become easier and easier and easier to follow the knowledge that God has given us in his word says this, that we move from that self-control to a steadfastness. And steadfastness is a patience and endurance in doing what is right. This is not a one-time thing. This is the idea that you're doing it a pattern over and over and over again. You know, for some of us, that's difficult. Because if we only understand that faith that we've been given, is all I have to do is run to him to ask forgiveness. And while that is so true, we can't take the idea that, you know what, I can just keep doing wrong and keep this pattern of sinful behavior and everything will be okay because that is what will keep us ineffective in what we do. And then it also tells us that add to our steadfastness Godliness. And I love the word godliness because godliness is literally the idea that it's the worship and true religion that we follow. You know, properly honoring and worshiping God. Not just with our lips, but with our lives, our actions as well. And Second Peter 1.7, a little later in the passage, says this. And godliness... With brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And I love this because this is where our life really begins to make a difference in the world around us. Once we're to that place where we are, our lives are characterized. And we have an endurance and steadfastness that characterizes us as godly. All of a sudden it says that we begin to have brotherly affection. A devotion for one another. You know, there ought to be something about us that says we want to be with people so that we can affect them and make sure that their lives are the best that they can be. And then it goes one step farther and says, you know what, this brotherly affection, it goes one step further and says brotherly affection needs to be love. And the idea of loving one another is wanting what is best for them at all cost, even if it costs you. Now, I know in the room and online, we have several who are grandparents. And grandparents intrinsically understand this issue of love. Not too long ago, I got a call at 1030 at night. And now, if you're like me, 1030 at night is halfway through my sleep. You know, I, I just kind of gone into that deep sleep. And I get a call and said, could you watch your grandson? Because we have to go to the hospital. There was an accident. And you know what I thought immediately? I don't want to watch my grandkid. Are you kidding me? Don't call me at 1030 nights halfway. Th- no, take care of your son. No, that's not what I said. I said, I would love to hold my grandkid. Bring him on over. So I went downstairs, turned on the lights, uh, got decently dressed so that my daughter wasn't embarrassed, and took my grandkids so that she could meet her husband at the hospital. You know, it's interesting. As a grandparent, that was my response. It's like a pure love because we would do anything. Now, if I go back 25 years and my twins or my daughter wake up in the middle of the night screaming. You know what I did? First thing was, hey, maybe if I'm quiet, they'll go back to sleep. (laughs) Second thing was, kind of roll over hard, but act like you're still asleep, and maybe your wife will get up and go. But then eventually, out of love, you get up and go. But what I've learned is that as my love matures for other people, I don't get put off as easy about those annoying things. Those things that used to be because there's a maturity that takes place in our own lives that moves us to that idea of love unconditionally. You know, Jesus himself told us that the greatest act of love is that Jesus laid down his life and sacrificed himself for others? You know, the love we have for one another and the love that we have for God cannot be separated. In fact, when Jesus was asked in a trick question to trick him, they said, What's the greatest commandment? And you know, they were thinking through all of the commands, some some hundreds and hundreds of commands given throughout scripture. And you know what he said? It's to love God with all of your heart, and in the same way to love neighbor. Now it's interesting to me that when Peter in this passage talks about moving and being effective in our lives that it begins with our faith and love for God and gradually ends with our love for those around us. You know if we want to be as effective as we can in the world around us Our lives have to move in that direction. A love for God to a love for those around us. In verse 8, it tells us this. For if these qualities, these virtues are yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective, or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 9, for whatever lacks, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was even cleansed from his former sins. I love that because it gives us two pictures. Those who choose to follow and grow, and it's a progressive growth. You never arrive, but as we move towards each of those virtues, something amazing happens. He said your life it's fruitful. You move towards your potential, you do incredible things. You know, when Jesus talks about this idea himself, and he commissions his disciples to change the world, he says this, as you are going, help other people to move into this love for me and love for others as well. And he, I love it because he says, as you are going, It doesn't say become a pastor so that you can do that or become a missionary so that you can do that. It says as you are going, as you are working in your vocation, whatever it is, use those opportunities to show others the faith and love that endure within you. You know, there are a few things that I want us to glean from this passage The first one is that I must realize that the ability to live a life full of purpose is through a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. It is impossible for us to have a meaningful life apart from our growth in Jesus Christ. We will never live to our full potential unless we're continually growing in our love for him and our love for others. The second thing that I believe we can learn is that living a life full of purpose requires me to work hard and grow in the areas that I'm weak. You know, there are areas that each one of us struggle. Maybe it's a hurt that you've had in your past, or or a current addiction or hang-up that we have, or maybe it's just an area that you seem to fail over and over and over again. Peter tells us in this passage, you must work hard with all of your might, Because God has given you the power to overcome it. Just this past week, as I was working through some things that I was struggling with in my own life, this quote was impressed upon me, and it said this I don't want to regret tomorrow what I could have done today. And when I began to think about that, I don't want to wake up tomorrow and regret not changing things today that I could. I don't want to wake up tomorrow and regret not living to my fullest because I haven't done my part. The third thing that I've learned is that I must work on the things that cause me to live a life of purpose. I must be looking for opportunities to grow in the love that I have for one another. And that love cannot come apart from the, come up, be apart from the actions that I show. We have to evaluate how to respond to the situations that are complex and that are challenging my faith. And I must look at my journey, my faith journey, as a team sport, not just a solo endeavor. You know, when I begin to look at that, I have to have people around me who encourage me, help me grow, and see what I do. And the fourth thing that I believe we can learn is that a life full of purposes are direct direct results of God's empowerment and My hard work. Both go together. I have some questions that I want you to ponder, maybe talk about with your groups as you think about this passage. The first one is this. Is my relationship with God growing at this season of my journey? You know, one way I ask that of myself is do I look more like Jesus today than I did a year ago? Is my love for others growing in a way that I'm becoming less annoyed by what they do and have more a heart of compassion for them? You know, when I begin to answer that question, it lets me know how I need to proceed. If the answer to those questions are, you know what, I'm getting more frustrated with the world around me rather than having more of a heart of compassion, maybe my relationship and my understanding of God is starting to wane or decreasing. Another question is, what area in my life am I seeking to develop in order to have a life full of purpose? You know, each one of us ought to be able to quickly identify areas that we're working on and working to overcome. You know, for me, if you were asked to ask, Chad, what are you working on today in your life? I can tell you this, it would be the patience that leads to endurance. Because for me, I can get really annoyed with annoying people. You know, it's like, how in the world can't you see? You know, I can get really annoyed when people begin to have a different worldview or perspective than I have. And I begin to almost look at them with contempt rather than compassion. And so for me, I'm digging into God's word to understand how did Jesus deal with compassion? How did he deal with people who were different or even to the point where they hated him? The third question I want to ask you is, am I relying on God's provision and my hard work? No, there are points in my life where if I'm honest, I'm frustrated with God. And my prayers and my conversations with Him or at least my thoughts begin to turn with, God, if you only could do this. Or God, if you would just And we begin to put qualifiers on our life in order to really believe that we can live a life of purpose. But rather, we should be saying, God, the circumstances that you have placed me in, you have given me everything that I need. And you've given me the ability to live in such a way that it's meaningful. You know, Peter in this passage, he began with his love for them. And then he'd move to an encouragement that says, you have the ability to live a life that is not meaningless, but a life that is moving towards the potential that God has placed in each one of you. And as we close our time this today, what I would like to do is just pray for you. And I ask that God would bless your life and enable you to lean into what He is doing and do the work that it takes in order to have a life that pleases him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for each person here. Lord, we thank you for the love that you've had for us. And Lord, I pray that as we walk out of here today, that we would evaluate our own lives and ask the question, Lord, where do I need to change in order to have that life of purpose? How can I add to my faith? virtue, and virtue, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control, and self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, uh, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love, so that the world around me can see you in me. Lord, I thank you for each person here and that's watching online, and I know that you have an incredible purpose for them to live towards the potential that you've placed in them, and we ask it all in your son's name. Amen.